0: Welcome to Lady Beard, episode two, Season One. This is Cat Miller of Lady and I'm really new at podcasting, so I've recorded this interview and somehow never saved it so this is attempt number three um, as i said I, i'm I'm Cat Miller and uh, Lady Beard is uh two things really um, I mean it is the name of my podcast it's also the the name of the uh chin beard that I have growing on my face, um, it's, it's just a little patch, and, uh, and I'm not growing the beard because I feel like, um, I'm non-binary, or that I feel like I'm more masculine than feminine. I, I'm growing a beard because my body grows hair, and, uh, and pretty much, um, ever since I was, uh, oh, like 13, I've been told that hair on a woman is gross and I have absolutely nothing I can do with the fact that I, I get, I get hair on my face that's dark because I was born with dark hair and, um, I spent years bleaching, which sting and smell horrible and then just shaving and then you, you get the, the, um, uh, after uh, shadow, anyway, uh, if you have really dark hair, and I've always resented it. I mean, I just I've always just resented the heck out of doing all this to be a girl, and um, and then I turned fifty, and I've uh, I'm I'm part of the gaming community. I I um, design role playing games and I play role playing games. Um, I play board games. I know board game designers. I know people all over the gaming industry. And the part of the gaming industry that I love the most is a very inclusive group of people that all we really care about is that you're a person that enjoys games. Um, you can identify any form of sexuality that, that you are. You You can be any uh race that you are you can you're you're a person and you like games you're part of you're part of you're part of the clan you're part of the group the the people and because of of this group i've had more contact with different opinions and perspectives on life than I would have had i not um, and uh one of the more interesting things is um Happy, um, cis-hetero men wearing nail polish. Just because, in this group, they can. Like, they've wanted to. It's always been a thing that girls can do. They're not questioning who they are, but they'd like to wear nail polish. So they do. And then I thought, then why can't I grow my hair just because I want to? So I did. And I like shaving a heck of a lot more now because... I'm in control of what my body's doing. My my little hair grows and, and I shave around it. And it looks on purpose rather than just, you know, uh, a factor of, of not being girly enough. And, uh, and it's made me love myself better. It's made me pay attention to my body more and just enjoy being who I am. So that's what Lady Beard means to me and... Uh, that's also why I have named it after my podcast or named my podcast after the lady beard, because this is the thing that is giving me confidence in, um, and who I am. And I'd like the podcast to do that as well. Um, so I'm going to tell you a little story because I'm, I'm 50 years old and I have grandchildren, you know, like 50 year old people do. Um, and, uh, So, I've got this uh, granddaughter named Evangeline, and I adore her. I don't get to see her as much as I'd like. And she's like four years old. And she's got, you know, a couple of brothers. One of them's uh, gonna be eight years old, and uh, the other one's like three. Um, And uh, so, Evangeline just noticed for the first time this weekend that my mom's got a beard. So she walks up to me and she's like, Mum, Mum, what's that on your face? And I'm like, I smiled. So I said, A smile? And she's like, No. And she pointed to my chin. I said, Oh, the beard. Yeah, it's a beard on my face. And she's like, Mum, Mum, why do you have a beard? And I looked at her as proud as I could and I said, Because I can. And she looked shocked, as shocked as a four-year-old can look. So I leaned towards her. I said, do you want to touch it? And she took several steps backwards as if I was, like, trying to get her to touch some worms or something. She's like, ew, no, and she ran off. Um, And uh, this made me laugh because uh, I've just started challenging the notion in my four-year-old granddaughter that, a woman can have a beard, and so she now will be able to grow up, and every once in a while challenge a notion of what it is to be a girl, so that she doesn't have to wonder about whether she's ever girly enough or not girly enough, or just be whoever she wants to be. And that's the kind of um, that's the kind of grandparent I want to be for my grandchildren. I want to I want to allow them to be whoever they want to be. Um. So, um, whoever I am, as I said before, is a person that, uh, both designs and plays games. So, um, I, I, I am a partner in this company called Incarnadine Press, um, with my husband. I have designed a couple of games. Um, the, the first game was War Stories, and, uh, it's... Uh, needs to be re- reprinted. Uh, the second one is a serial homicide unit. And I I love game design. Um, I love being part of the indie community. And I've just sort of taken it for granted that, uh, you know, I, I, I'm in it. Therefore, I know what it is. Um, and I realized that the industry, the indie gaming, has gotten so much bigger and broader than when I was first... Uh, learning how to game design that I no longer am in touch with what things are, so I'm I'm trying to um, redefine or re-understand what people mean when they say indie games. So that's sort of the journey that I'm on right now with this podcast. Is um, when when people say indie games, what does that mean? Um, so. Uh, Helping me uh, figure this stuff out will be the different people that I interview, and today um, I am I'm very lucky uh, that uh, the other half of Incarnadine Press has um, decided he could squeeze me in, um, you know, because you know we're married, and uh, he doesn't have much choice. Um, So this is Michael Miller. Hi. you are a game designer yourself, and uh, half of the team that organizes the Indie Games Explosion at New Jersey's Double Exposure Conventions.
1: Yes. Yes, I am. So? Um, yeah. We call it the uh, Indie Games Explosion. And, uh, and Indie's right there in the title.
0: <laughs> How did you get involved in all that? Oh, well, um...
1: Uh, long ago, when dinosaurs roamed the Earth... Um, a.k.a. the the late 90s, early 2000s, um, we were going to um, a number of local conventions, both in eastern Pennsylvania and central New Jersey, which uh, was not the most hospitable environment for non-mainstream role-playing games. You mean like D&D? Well, I, yes, D&D as the uh, the um, mainstream, what was considered the mainstream role-playing games at the time, D&D and the various White Wolf products, a um, little bit of GURPS. Shadowrun. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of Shadowrun, uh, but uh, anything too far outside of those, um, it was very difficult to get people interested. You'd go and you'd uh, offer your games to empty tables. Yeah. And... I've always been interested in games that are off the beaten path. Um, and so uh around the same time uh one, my uh, my cousin and I published our role-playing game uh Fulminata Armed with Lightning, uh about a historical RPG about a Rome that never was where Rome discovered gunpowder. Uh sounds
0: and... like a blast. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I've never heard
1: that joke before from you. Ah, <laughs> uh, but um, so we were trying to do promotion for that. I was trying to just get people to play those uh, weird offbeat games that I uh, that I was interested in, and I uh, found a uh, website, uh, indie-rpgs.com, uh, better known as the Forge, uh, where there were. A lot of people who were uh, talking about designing your own role-playing games and designing them how you wanted to design them instead of necessarily uh, how RPGs had always been.
0: Right, and they, they were also talking about the theories behind games and what made people like particular games versus other games. Um, they were right. really pulling the whole idea of what a game is uh, apart
1: Yes, yes, we, we, were, we were trying to understand uh, well, not just how to make the games we wanted to play but how to make the best versions of games that we could and in order to do that, we figured we needed to understand what made games work, you know, particularly role-playing games this very new format, I mean even D&D was only... Uh, wasn't even 30 years old at the time and you know this entirely different kind of game where people interact with with fiction in an interactive way that the author and the audience are the same people you know and all these sort of uh heady concepts coupled with the fact that um the rise of the internet allowed um game enthusiasts like us from disparate parts of the country and the world come together and discuss things on text message boards. Uh, And also uh, the rise of things like print-on-demand and the PDF format enabled us to publish
0: in a way that didn't require taking out a second mortgage. Right, because you could publish in a small batch. You could publish like... Okay, I'm 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 going to convention and probably sell ten books, so I'm gonna publish or I'm gonna go to, uh, what was it Kinkos, uh, Kinkos, yeah. and uh, run, ten books in a stapler, <laughs> right, um, and
1: uh, yeah, I mean there was um, you know mimeographed uh, games since the seventies, um, but yeah, with the rise of places like Kinkos, uh, and the like the it got easier, less with labor intensive uh and then there was less Lulu. expensive. Yeah, well, yeah, Lulu came around a little later. Right. Um but yeah, so there were all these because of technology there was there were new um capabilities both in communication among the community and in production that uh an individual person or a small group of people driven by an artistic vision could actually bring a game, a role-playing game into an exi- into existence uh, in a way that hadn't really been possible before.
0: So you've been doing indie game, both design and, and being an indie game aficionado for, <laughs> um, for a long time now.
1: Yeah, yeah, because I'm, um, oh, there's a word for what I, it's old. I'm old. <laughs> um, yeah, so, um, yeah, since the late 90s, at least.
0: Well, since you're so old, do you, uh, do you remember your your first experiences with games? I mean, what what kindled the joy of playing a game for you?
1: Oh, well, you know, when, when we'd have to hide from the saber-toothed tigers. No. Um, <laughs> no. Um, so when I was a kid, um, the one of the things you have to understand about me is I'm an only child, and the house I grew up in didn't have any neighbors. We were sort of way off in the middle of nowhere, uh, so I was playing by myself a lot, mm. and therefore, uh, I had heard kids in school talking about D and D, but didn't quite know what it was. And then uh, some of my cousins that I would see two or three times a year at major holidays got involved in in playing D and D and I would anxiously look forward to the next holiday where I could go and see my cousins and, um, you know, uh, my, particularly my cousin, Jason would take me through, uh, a a dungeon and, uh, I had no idea what I was doing, but he would just describe what was going on and I would describe what I would do. And it was like magic that, uh, you know, this, this thing happened, um, and I would carry around, in between holidays, I'd carry my character sheet, uh, I, I, it would be one of my treasured possessions, this, this, this beat up old d and character sheet of my uh, gnome named Fig Toe, <laughs> um, which had a bunch of numbers on it that I had no idea what they meant, of, you know, what uh, Save V PPD meant. Uh, but it was important to have a and d character that had all those numbers on the sheet. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I would play D&D First Edition for a long time. I, at least I think it was First Edition. I kind of remember some hardcover books, but I also remember some softcover books. So, mm. like, people ask me, what version of D&D did I start with? And I'm like, I don't really know. It was the version that I never touched the books because <laughs> uh, I didn't have them. And so... Uh, I have a pretty good memory, so I would, like, memorize the dungeons he took me through, um, or at very least the rooms that I went into, uh, and then I'd draw them out on graph paper when I went home, and then at uh, lunch in middle school, I'd play with my friends, and I'd be the game master and walk them through. Um, but, of course, we'd go through, burn through those dungeons pretty quick, and then we'd make up new stories, or we'd do Star Wars things, or whatever. And so... Um, because I sort of had this um, semi-isolated um, time on my hands, I, would, I spent a lot of time and energy creating these new adventures, and so for me, game design is very much um, as much my hobby as game playing. Uh, because that's where I came from. That uh, right, you know, your it, it, situation it,
0: was the perfect setup for you to be the dungeon master because you have the time and the tools.
1: Right, right. And I'm I'm happy entertaining myself.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. So once I finally bought my own games, I would like you know pour over the rule books at home and memorize all the stuff and stat out everything and all that stuff. Uh, these days they call it lonely fun. <laughs> But yeah, so that's why I'm very inclined towards um, designing my own stuff.
0: Um, that makes a lot of sense. So. Um. <clears throat> have, uh, I mean, you've been in, in involved with um, indie gaming for many years. Um, the, the question I have is tw- twofold. Um, have you ever uh, have you ever felt like you weren't indie enough or had people um, make you feel like you weren't indie enough? Which is different than imposter syndrome where you just don't feel good enough or, or like you really belong in a situation. So, right. Um, but I'm, I guess I'm specifically asking about uh, whether you've you've ever come across gatekeeping or gatekeeped yourself? Uh, um, never not felt indie enough.
1: Um, well, specifically, did I ever not feel indie enough? I don't think so. I mean, one of my problems is that I, I think sometimes I'm too indie insofar as I try and take on too many uh, of the game... Uh, responsibilities myself um, rather than you know getting other people also involved and excited and getting in their point of view uh, and finding out what they connect with with the the games that I'm working on Um, I think that's one thing that I could certainly do better at Um, but also as far as Um, gatekeeping, I mean, not so much myself. I've tried to, um, tried to prevent gatekeeping where I could, but...
0: You've seen it happen or heard of it? Oh,
1: yeah, I mean, there are... There was a little bit of a boxhole mentality and uh, that uh, we sometimes fell into at the Forge booth, and uh, I can't say that I've never been guilty of that. Because, um, you know, particularly particularly in the, the late 90s, early 2000s, the sort of gaming scene that uh, the Forge was coming out of, um, you know, reacting against... Uh, a lot of, there was um, stigma with producing things yourself, Um, you know, it's struck of like vanity publishing, or that uh, if major publishers weren't interested that must mean that it's garbage, and there was um, a certain aesthetic that uh established publishers had um put forward of what an RPG looked like um or what what something had to look like in order to be an RPG. It had to be um eight and a half by eleven, it had to have color covers, it had to have a lot uh a high page count, all these sort of things that um made sense for them because they were publishing thousands of units um, on traditional presses and uh, that's where their you know that was the economics of their product um, right and the idea of doing something different uh, was looked down upon by a lot by a number of corners uh, and couple that with the idea with the um idea that a lot... Let me take a breath. When you put that together with the fact that the the actual structure of the games that we were producing was significantly different from the sort of what everyone knows role-playing is supposed to be. You can maybe hear the air quotes in my voice. that was established at the time. Um, you know, a lot of us uh, at the forge, you know, really felt like we were um, we were fighting established mindsets to change the uh, the hobby.
0: So you were fighting gatekeeping about just having games out there, or it wasn't about you know you weren't fighting gatekeeping about being indie. You were fighting gatekeeping about being a
1: game. That's what we were... That's definitely the way we saw ourselves, or at least the way I felt that we saw ourselves. I mean, I shouldn't... I, I'm not trying to speak for anyone else. Okay. Um, so forgive me if my language is a little loose, but I'm not trying to speak for anyone else. My impression was that that's not what we were intending to do, but uh the fact of the matter is i know some people who were thoroughly indie who owned their own stuff were producing their own stuff um but maybe weren't um as the i wanted to say aesthetics but um the style of game they were producing was uh not quite than the same style as what a lot of the Forge Drive games were producing, um, I know that they uh, they suffered from uh, some gatekeeping activity.
0: So is this the um, narrativist, the the story game versus the more traditional um, crunchier game?
1: A little bit, yeah, um, yeah, I, I uh, um, yeah, so there there were definitely incidents there and, um, we tried, we did not always succeed. Um, but, uh, to prevent the gatekeeping. We, yes, we tried to prevent the gatekeeping. We did not always succeed in preventing the gatekeeping. Um, and, uh, I think the, uh, Like I've always thought of specifically indie as about um ownership, um, who makes the creative decisions, who makes the business decisions, if they're the same person or small group of people, then it's indie right and if the creative input and the business decisions are separate, then it's not indie um. But it's also true that a lot of the games at the Forge, and particularly the games that were most popular and generating the most excitement, um, had a specific style. Yeah. Which later would kind of come to be called story games. Um, You know, and... Things that were definitely indie, but were definitely not story games... It was on a uh, not always as un- a comfortable fit. Okay. Is that that uh, I don't even know if that answers your question. At it all. does answer my question. It sort of. Um, this is this is why I tend to stay away from microphones.
0: <laughs> well, in this podcast, we're using something called Anchor, so you're just talking on a phone. So <laughs> hopefully, that makes it <laughs> a, a little bit more uh, comfortable.
1: Well, I can still blather pointlessly.
0: is all I'm saying. Um so i was going about i was about to ask you the third question, which is what does Indy mean to you, but you've uh, covered that very nicely oh um so um, with the uh oh we skipped imposter syndrome we did skip the imposter syndrome
1: um yes, of course i've suffered from imposter syndrome, most people have um you still um i mean yeah didn't well, i just just say I don't like to be interviewed, but I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I, uh, most people, particularly most creative people that I've talked to, um, have um, not have felt that they don't measure up to where they would like to be um, from time to time. Uh, studies have actually shown that the more capable someone is, the more likely they are to suffer from imposter syndrome. That uh, uh, often it's the people who don't actually know what they're doing that are most confident uh, that uh, they have everything figured out.
0: So if you're suffering from imposter syndrome at Metatopia, that means you probably know your stuff. Uh,
1: (laughs) At least you know enough to be worried about... uh, what you know and what you don't know. Um,
0: you have thought about uh, walking away from being a game designer. Well, more than thought about it, I've done it just a couple times. Never, <laughs> t- it hasn't taken yet. So, uh, um, I think even last year you were you were. Um, I, I know that you are writing. And yes. that was that was what you were uh trading game design for. Um and you're still yeah. writing? Uh yeah. I'm uh I'm still banging my head against the
1: novel that uh refuses to uh come together, but uh
0: I'll get it at some point. But you've also written um short stories and Right and a novella. A novella and and they're on Amazon. Oh yes, yes,
1: they're they're on Amazon and drive through Fiction. And Payhip, so, which I is mean, very like, accessible from uh, iPressGames.com.
0: You're you're an actual author now. That's true. I am a self-published author, which is like really cool, by the way. Um, but are you still game designing? Um,
1: yes. I I've said uh, to some people, particularly at uh, Last Metatopia, that I failed my saving throw versus game design. Um, it's, it's a habit I can't seem to break. Like I said, I've been doing it, um, ever since I was a little kid. And, um, so, um, I'm currently, um, grappling with a new game that's, uh, too big and too ambitious, uh, and too complex. It uses, um, chess pieces and tarot cards and, uh, doesn't even have a title yet, um, but it's kind of inspired by the Lord of the Rings, uh, except, uh, you don't play characters, uh, like, uh, Frodo and Aragorn and Legolas, you play characters like Galadriel
0: and Denethor
1: and Theoden. Um,
0: uh, oh, typical characters that you're allowed to know but not ever play in other games.
1: Right, yes, so it's... That's it's, kind of cutting edge, actually. Uh I... <sighs> don't know about that i just know that it sort of um has a place in my head and uh won't won't go out and hasn't left yet so um with a little luck um knock on wood it will uh i'll be able to show it to some people at metatopia 2019
0: nice um so it's about that's about it for the interview. Was there um anything else that you'd like to uh add or say or Oh, um just that uh um
1: Oh one thing that I missed during our the introduction mm-hmm. of one of my proudest gaming achievements is I am the first person who has ever heard the term games on demand because I was in the car when the term was coined. Uh and so that will always be one of my greatest uh thoughts because my wife came up with the idea.
0: Well, thank you for adding that. And no, I <laughs> no, didn't it wasn't talking voice him. from the <laughs> above. Didn't didn't prompt him and uh, no. No, I just uh, your your money will come to you later. Um, <laughs> right. so uh this has been um Lady Beard. Um uh I can be reached at uh um, at sign LadyBeard17 um, and also Facebook Um Next week I will return with hopefully another interview with um, someone else so that we can discuss indie games so that I can eventually come up with a uh, good solid definition of what is and isn't an indie game for the uh, indie games explosions in the future. Um, So thank you for listening, and um, uh, hopefully you will be hearing me again next week.